Hello and welcome to the Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. This is your regular update for all your tillage news and advice. Looking back over the past year, it's been a relatively easy year or an almost perfect year for tillage crops. The harvest in 2021 went smoothly, which was followed by an excellent period in the autumn to get crops established. The spring in 2022 was also excellent for getting crops planted and the growing season has been excellent so far. Despite the very high cost of inputs, Crops appear to be green and healthy and all have good promise. Are we looking at a bumper harvest in 2022, I wonder? Today I'm joined by Shay Phelan and Kieran Collins, both tillage specialists in Chagas, to chat about crops so far this year and if there's any other lessons which we can learn from growing crops this year. Kieran, winter barley crops are beginning to turn. What sort of prospects are in the crops at the moment? I suppose winter barley, yeah, like, I mean, three weeks will probably bring in some of the, the earliest of the crops. Um, it's it's probably of all the crops this year, winter barley is probably the one that's maybe the comment a little bit mixed might be apt in the sense that while there are some very nice crops of winter barley out there, there are also some crops maybe where obviously barley yellow dwarf virus um, hits some of them. And I suppose it remains to be seen, maybe some of the consequences of that. Secondly, I suppose walking through crops of winter barley in recent weeks, you know, there may be a, the headcount might be a little bit slacker than you'd like, you know. So as I said, of all the crops, there, it is a little bit of a mixed bag with, with, with winter barley, really. Okay. Um, was disease care an issue this year or were crops relatively clean from start to finish? Uh, generally, crops were relatively clean. I suppose, look, we, we, we did have little bits of disease earlier on, but I think, again, spray programs were well-timed. Um, so in terms of wrinkle, uh, net blotch, mildew, I, I wouldn't have said that they would have caused any great issues. I suppose the obvious one that everybody would be commenting on in, in recent weeks is the level of raw malaria in crops. And I think all crops have some level of Romalaria and it's almost like um, a sprint now to the finish line between the Romalaria and maybe the natural senescence of the crop and I think from the crops I'm seeing in the majority of cases I don't think Romalaria is going to have a huge impact but there, there, there will be odd exceptions out there. Okay okay so the prospects are relatively good I suppose one year with the other. I, I would think so. I would think so. A good average is what it looks, but, you know, the combine will dictate, I suppose. As we're, as we're talking about disease, um, Shay, I might bring you in there in terms of winter wheat. Is there, how would this year be classed as a, a disease year of winter wheat? Um, I suppose, Michael, the, the way to classify it really is it has been a relatively low pressure year from the point of view, of certain, certainly of septoria. Um, there are a few guys growing uh, a few varieties that are uh, susceptible to yellow rust, but they're few and far between. So by far and away, it's the, more, the most worrying disease that we would, ha- would have had this year is septoria. But I mean, the current weather is kind of symptomatic of what we have. We're, we're looking for rain at the moment. So, you know, it's, it's been kind of similar to similar that way most way through the, through the year. And that coming into kind of the early part of May, there wasn't a whole lot of rain in April. So actually the levels of septory were actually quite low to begin with. Um, and on top of that, even though May was kind of tricky from the point of view of spraying opportunities, it was quite windy. Um, most people were able to get their um, fungicide applications done on time. So when they needed to get it done, they were able to get it done. So that has helped no end in terms of controlling septoria. Um, having said that, uh, I'm literally only after coming back in from looking at some trials here, not big, and where there are, um, say mishaps or mistimed applications, there is a nice bit of septoria around there. So it, it hasn't gone away. It is there. Uh, but for the most part, I would say 
most growers got what they needed to do done on time. So for 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 those crops, they should be okay. And what about fusarium shade? It was a good bit of rain there around the time when flowering was occurring on wheat. Is it is it too early to know whether that is going to be a problem in wheat or not? It is a bit yet, Michael. As you say, it was catchy and was some rain in certain parts of the world when when uh, when flowering was going on. But I think what's crucial is that you were you were getting dry periods within those as well. So it wasn't like that. Crops were essentially wet from the start of flowering all the way through to the end. Um, so from that point of view, crops did get a chance to dry out and you would hope that that would lessen the, the, the risk of fusarium. But we won't know that for another couple of weeks yet. Um, it'll be close to the harvest time before we really see those effects. But as I say, probably wasn't the highest pressure year from a fusarium point of view either, given that uh, there was quite a bit of drying there over the last Okay, so we, we, we have um, crops that were well established or seem to be seem to be um, a big crop from, from, from hedge to hedge or ditch to ditch, if you like. Um, there seems to be plenty of heads there. So are we going to look at a, a, a bumper year for winter wheat, do you think, Shay? The potential is certainly there, Michael. I mean, uh, unlike what Kieran was saying with the winter barley, um, wheat does have that element of compensation, so it can compensate for a slightly poorer stand. Um, and like I said, the, our biggest risk with, with, with winter wheat not yielding is bare patches or, or disease. And so far, we see that crops are, as you say, full crops from hedge to hedge. There's no water waterlogged patches anywhere for the, for the most part. And likewise, disease has been kept at bay for the most part as well. So I would say, yeah, we possibly could be looking at, now it all has to be harvested yet, of course, but we are possibly looking at, at good yields there this year, yeah. Okay, and Kieran, come back to you in terms of oats. We've two good crops already talked about. Will oats do something similar? Are the good crops out there? Uh, there are. I suppose the bar was set very high last year, especially with spring oats, I suppose, in terms of record yields and, and winter oats. It was an exceptional year last year as well. But to be fair, I think the majority of winter oat crops that I've seen this year are good. Um, we certainly did have mildew in the early part of the spring and it was noticeable, you know, but probably a little bit of a consequence of some of that milder weather in the autumn stroke winter time. And, you know, you were seeing a, a good degree of mildew in some crops, particularly kind of shelter crops. But then I suppose drier weather in April in particular, you know, allowed, you know, people A, to get on, I suppose, with fungicides. And then obviously the, the weather suited in terms of, of controlling mildew. So thereafter, I think disease levels in oats has been relatively low. And a little bit like Shay's comment, I suppose, the stand with, with, with winter oats in particular, and I can add spring oats into that bracket as well, is, is quite good, you know. So I, I think one thing with another, um, there's good potential in, in both winter and spring oats this year, really, Michael. So, Karen, winter oats is looking good, but if you were to, we were to look back to all of the winter cereals there, is there any lessons that farmers can learn from, I suppose, the last season in terms of how crops were managed? Yeah, I certainly think so. In terms of sowing date is one, I suppose, that would that would jump out at you, you know, and I spoke about BYDV with, in relation to winter barley and obviously the highest pressure is going to come from from early sowing. You know, um, we don't know the day we sow what type of weather we're going to get over the winter, whether it will be, you know, mild like like it was this year or, you know, cool and wet like the previous year. So certainly early sowing then and, you know, symptoms problems like BYDV exacerbated then by, by mild weather over the winter. So sowing date is definitely a factor. And also, I think we shouldn't forget about take-all. You know, certainly early sowing 
can impact. And, you know, we haven't seen a huge amount of take all recently, but I, I certainly have seen some of that in winter barley recently. And maybe that's a factor with, with some of the winter barley as well that's that's sown a little bit earlier, you know, where it's not in and as it tends not to be in an ideal slot, really. So I suppose, Michael, to answer your question in relation to lessons, certainly early sowing date is, is it can be a factor at times. Okay, a little bit more problem, more problems are going to arise with that. But but I suppose, Shay, turning back to early sowing and, and obviously rape kind of goes in there in terms of it's one of the first crops that are going to be in. Uh, and if we're looking at oilseed rape out there at the moment, it's it's um, flowering as well over and, and, and pods are filling at the moment. Where do you think uh, crops are in terms of desiccation? Is it, are, are, are crops coming up to that stage at the moment? Yeah, from what crops I've uh, looked at in the last couple of days, Michael, we're probably maybe a week, maybe 10 days and some crops away from, from desiccation. Um, when you actually split the pods at the moment and, you know, we were looking at the ones in the main racine now particularly, they're still quite green. So the, the seeds in them are still quite green. So they're just not there yet. We want to see those uh, those seeds going from green to brown and maybe even dark brown. Um, and again, on the main racine. Um, so we they're not there yet. They're probably in some cases, maybe, like I said, a week or 10 days away yet. So go back now, just so everyone understands the main racine, that's the main stem you're talking about? Main stem, the main stem on the plant. So you're taking your samples from that, not the side ones, because they will tend to be a little bit behind the main main stem, if you like. So you take your samples from those, uh, split the pods open, look at your seeds. If they're starting to go from green to brown uh, in more than, say, 30 to 40% of the cases, you're starting to get close with there then at that stage. So you're probably a couple of days away at that stage. But ideally, I like to see them kind of nearly all brown in those pods, if I can at all, and I spray it then. So it's, I suppose, crops are fantastic out there this year. There's lots of really heavy canopies. How important is it that growers get into the middle of those to see what are, you know, the, the, the middle of the field reflects what's inside the gate? Because... I'll tell you one thing, it takes a strong person to get through some of them, I think. Yeah, you're right, Michael. It is a challenge. There's no doubt about that, uh, getting through them now at this stage. The one thing I would say this year is quite a lot of crops were spread probably relatively late for Sleratinius, certainly later than I would have liked to see them. So for a lot of those crops, there are tram lines, you know, probably that are accessible. Now, it's still tough walking, walking through them. But obviously, the more you get into the crop, the better the view you get of type of crop there how far it is because you should rightly say most guys just go as far as the gate and go inside the gate and quite often that can be the poorest part of the crop and one that turns earlier because it might be you know it might be affected by compaction around the gateways and things like that so the further you get into the crop the more realistic a picture you will get of the crop and it's glyphosate that 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 farmers are going to be using to desiccate the crops is there what sort of rate are, are, are people going to be using and, and is there any differences? Because there are lots of different trade names and, and, and bits and pieces of glyphosate out there. Is there, is there differences between them? Yeah, there are, Michael. There, there are, as you say, there are generics out there. Them, there are all, and, and you have your, your, your normal roundups as well. So you literally have to look at the concentrations of each of them. Some of them have 360 grams, which are probably the most, 360 grams per litre, should I say, which are the most common ones, so like to round up by active, round up XL, uh, Gallup XL, those type of things are all 360. Then you have some of them at you know, four, 450 grams, and you have some even at um, 700 grams. So you know you have to look at the concentration on each one. 
you're probably looking for most of those somewhere in the region of about um, between, depending on the crop and if there are any other weeds there, between 700 and maybe even 900 grams a litre, or uh, sorry, 900 grams uh, per hectare of active ingredient. So you, you need quite a bit of, of, of um, actual glyphosate to try and take the crop down because it is it's quite a big canopy that you're trying to take down. And it does take, you know, three to four weeks to actually take them down. Okay. And there's often lots of talk about um, putting in an adjuvant or a pod sticker, as they call it, a, a, a product that will help pod shatter or help stop pod shatter. Is that worth considering at all? Most varieties now might kind of are, are, have a certain resistance to pod shatter, um, but you're right, a lot of people still put in um, stickers and stuff like that. Personally, I'm not convinced by them. Um, I think if if the if the um, varieties contain that pod shatter resistance, I think that's generally good enough. Um, I suppose what's more important is how you actually cut the crop when you are actually cutting it, not to not to shatter the crop before it actually gets onto the table. Okay, thanks, Shay. Kieran, come back to you. Just go back and have a, a quick look around some of the spring crops. I mean, I think in fairness, they got a brilliant chance this year in terms of the zone conditions that were, were, were really, really good and kind of got off to a good start. How are they looking now? Are they looking every bit as well as we hope they do? Uh, they are, to be fair. I suppose, like you said, Michael, sowing conditions in, in March, the end of March and into early April were, were excellent. And I suppose that's when the majority of, of spring crops were sown. Um, I suppose looking at spring barley, obviously being the, the, the main spring crop, you know, good establishment. And again, Disease-wise and controlling disease hasn't been a big issue. That's not to say it was non-existent because we certainly did see plenty of, of net blotch and the likes of Planet, you know, which obviously has is, is quite susceptible. Um, but, you know, I think where spray timings were good, um, it, it, it hasn't really been, been too much of a challenge. So all in all, I, you know, spring crops and, and especially spring barley are, are looking well. They've grown well, even to the point that I, I just think that some of them actually are a little bit taller than normal, which is always a good sign of, you know, a, a good growing season. Um, and again, look, the final the final spray timings went went on well. So again, in terms of from a Rommel area perspective, we're, we're, we're not really seeing anything yet. But, you know, there is time for that. But hopefully, you know, given the timings were good, that 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 won't be an issue in spring barley this year. Is BYDV the only fly in the ointment, so to speak, at the moment then? Yeah, again, it's it's it is. There's plenty of BYDV around, and and it's quite. It was not as obvious now as it would have been, obviously, two three weeks ago. Um, but when you actually look into a lot of crops that appear to the eye to have a lot of infection, you actually do measurements. The percentage can actually be quite low. You know, anything I, I would have said the vast majority of the crops that were had less than five percent infection. Some a little bit higher, certainly maybe seven, eight, nine percent. You know, so I suppose a the level of BYDV isn't massively high. Secondly, then we don't see like we, even we've seen in some of the winter barley, some of this typical stunting and that so again depending on the strains that are there and we have seen this in the recent past where we've had a relatively high level of BYDV infection in spring barley but yet not having a significant impact on yield now time, time will tell on that one but you know I suppose we certainly wouldn't be as concerned as maybe we might be with with winter barley. Okay Shay, can I come back to you just in terms of the um, we, we talked about I suppose lessons that can be learned over the the season gone by is there anything else farmers can do at the moment to i suppose try and 
pick up more of those lessons either from their own farms or, or, or other farms around there? Yeah, I think it's a, it's, it's a very important time, Michael, actually, to learn the lessons that have been that have, that have happened during the year. And you're right, farmers should be walking their own crops and looking to see what, what's worked this year and more crucially, what didn't work uh, and what the legacy of those are. And take notes down for each individual crop and field and see what's there. But the other thing that farmers should be doing is they should be going to open days and any other demonstrations that are around. And there are lots of different opportunities to go and see you know, whether it's uh, variety trials, whether it's disease trials or open days. And we're running a set a series of farm walks ourselves uh, next week, uh, looking at the signpost program and also the IPM works. Um, and there's a lot of information to be garnered at those sort of events as well. So really and truly, I suppose, this is a time of year where farmers can learn from not only the mistakes, but what actually worked well for the, for the year going out. Not only in their own farms, but there's plenty of opportunity to learn from others as well. So really, they should be getting out and going to these different events and trying to learn what's there. Okay. And, and where, where will people find out more information about that, Jay? So those farm walks that we're running are on our website. Uh, there's adverts going out in the national papers. Um, local advisory offices will have the details so that, um, and they're on our website as I say as well so there's there's plenty of there's plenty of advertisement there I suppose if, if people google chagas.ie forward slash events they'll probably probably stumble upon them there they'll get them there yeah okay thanks Shay. Karen. can I just finally come to you in terms of um, I suppose look it's, it's, it's not just about growing the crop at the end of the day it's about getting a result and getting getting uh, grain out of it the far side it's been a very expensive year for farmers in terms of input costs. Where do you think the current state of play is as regards output prices? They were looking good. They've come off the boil a little bit, but are they still looking pretty good? Yeah, I, I suppose. Look, Michael, if we look at the, the five or even the 10-year average, obviously we're we're at the, the peak of it, really. And I suppose that's, that's the positive. And, and like you said, look, a lot of that's needed. Fertilizer obviously was 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 very expensive, um, you know, for for a lot of growers this season, and you know we're heading into a harvest with 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 very high fuel prices as well. So you know that's the the, the price that's there at the moment is welcome. I suppose, like you said, it is gone off the boil a little bit. Um, the most recent kind of green prices that I have would be in the range of barley three ten, three fifteen, and wheat maybe three twenty five, three thirty. But when I was looking back uh, in around the 17th of May, I remember getting a text for, for Barley at, at 3.43, you know. So, you know, 3.10 today and the most recent quote that I got there, 3.15. So, you know, as you say, that 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 is there. I suppose it's it's very difficult for any grower to say, well, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna fix my price at, at a certain point in time. Um, you know, and, and the indications from the industry would be that that most farmers have chosen to to kind of wait for the harvest price. And I suppose there is a little bit of apprehension there because you know, while the winter barley harvest mightn't be any more than three weeks away we could be three months away from the actual final harvest price being settled and you know a lot of things can can happen in the meantime you know and we did see flutters there when you know there was talk of some of that wheat coming out of ukraine and certainly the the the, the market dropped you know for a period of time on, on on the back of that news and you know i suppose on the flip side then we're you know and and, and the the news today we're hearing about heat waves and the impact that that's having in europe and and actually in in, in america as well so look that it is very volatile michael i suppose really but look as i say the, the current prices are in excess of 300 which is very very welcome 
albeit, you know, there was more there maybe maybe a month ago, you know. Okay. Listen, Kieran, thanks so much for, for, for that. It's great to be a little bit optimistic, I suppose, at the end of, of any podcast or any, any any section of stuff that we're doing with farmers uh, and, and prices are certainly positive. But I suppose, look, when it's all said and done, it, they're all kind of needed to to fill in the hole of, of all the inputs that's gone out there. So listen, Kieran, thanks very much. And Shay, thank you very much for your for your input as well. And uh, guys, we'll be talking to you over the harvest again. Thanks very much. Thanks, Michael. So that's all we've time for. And my thanks to Kieran and Shay for joining me today on the podcast. There are a series of crop walks, which Shay mentioned earlier, from June the 28th to the 30th in Wexford, Cork and Tipperary. And these crops are looking at how to reduce tillage farming environmental footprint. For more details, go to chagas.ie forward slash events. Finally, don't forget if you enjoyed the podcast and recommend it to a friend or colleague. And as always, rate, review and follow on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with more tillage news and advice.